The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC can be found online at overlandpark.cc. Welcome to OPCC. It's good to see all of you, and welcome to those of you joining online. We're glad you're here this morning. Big announcement uh, about next week's service. We're only doing one service because of the uh, holiday, and many people will be traveling, so we're doing one service at 10 o'clock in the morning. It'll be kind of a family-type service. We've got some special stuff planned. It's going to be really cool. If you're in town, I encourage you to be here. Um, be an opportunity for, me, for you to hear from other people in the body about what the Lord is doing, and um, it's, it's going to be really cool. It's kind of uh, a special service we have planned, and so uh, make sure you don't forget about that. We'll send you a text and an email as well reminding you one service next week at 10 o'clock in the morning, and today we're going to interrupt our uh, Believe series in Romans. We'll get right back to that. Uh, here in the near future. We're going to talk about vision today just a little bit because we're doing our annual business meeting where we approve the budget. And so I uh, just wanted to kind of interrupt and talk a little bit about vision. Um, vision is a, uh, and this is not totally original with me, uh, read a great book and, and this has influenced me over the years by Andy Stanley, but vision is a, is a spiritual portrait that God paints in the heart of the believer of what could and should be in his kingdom. And so when we ask the question, what could be uh, in the kingdom of Christ, then we ask the question, well, should that be? Uh, and then, um, and it's God painting that vision, us not painting it ourselves. And that's really, really important, is that a life of surrender is one in which we have handed the brush of our lives and our will to the Lord, and um, we allow him to paint the vision. He is the one creating what it is that he desires uh, to do in his kingdom through us. Jesus said in, in Matthew chapter 17, I tell you the truth, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Now, was Jesus in the, uh, in the business of... Um, seeing mountains moved. No, like this is not about a literal mountain being moved. This is obviously about challenges in our lives, especially when we are focused on the things of the kingdom. Jesus is saying we can conquer these challenges. I, I like challenges. I was thinking about this a little bit this morning. I, I like a good challenge. I don't like heartbreak. I don't like a disappointment when I'm disappointed in other people. I don't like to disappoint other people. I don't like pain. Um, but I like a good challenge. I like a good uh, a challenge, whether it's in a game or uh, a game of pickleball or a game of Monopoly. I will smoke you in Monopoly. Oh, yes, I will. Uh, there have been many people who shook your head like that. I will take all your money and your property, and you will go watch TV as I conquer the rest of the board. <laughs> I think he likes a challenge too. Keithan is up for a challenge. And so we're, we're kind of designed that way. That's why we like sports. You know, the, the Chiefs are playing tonight and the challenge of winning a Super Bowl. That's a very challenging thing. And we all know it as fans and, and teams know it. And it's just, it's a fun thing. I, I think it's one reason I like to bow hunt. It's challenging. Um, it's frustrating. Sometimes I find myself going, why do I like to bow hunt? This is stupid. And I'm like, but when you get it done, man, it's like the challenge of it is, that's what's so fun about it. Is it's just a, uh, it, it kind of just f focuses the mind and helps you to kind of 
forget about some other things, and, and that's a healthy thing to do. And so uh, uh, Jesus is saying in this passage, this mountain is about these challenges. The greatest challenge I've ever been a part of is the church. It's the most challenging thing I've ever done in my life. has been since I started back in 1995. 25 years old, went into uh, full-time ministry for the first time in my life, and um, there's not a day that's gone by that hasn't been challenging. <laughs> and there was a time I thought, <clears throat> Abby and I were young in our, our ministry, and we thought when, we became, when I became a senior pastor, I was 29, and we thought, you know, well, this is, you know we get through this, and this is going to get easier. Then we get through that, and we get through this, and this is going to get easier. Then we finally realize this is never getting easier. Like, it's never going to, and I don't say that to say, oh, man, whoa, it's me. I'm just saying it's challenging. I, I like that about it. Um, but sometimes it's, it's frustrating as well is that you're, you're engaged in the business of, of helping the kingdom move forward in your life. And so the Lord entrusts to you a stewardship and says, look, these are my people, these are my sheep, and I want you to lead them, and I want you to uh, be a, a, play a significant role with the body and, and lead the body and help the body play a significant role in the, in the kingdom breaking out in your generation. And man, there's not a greater challenge. There's not a more rewarding thing. Uh, and so when you see the Lord moving and you see him transforming people's lives and you know, man, that that's just a thing that, that only he can do and you, you tr you're just trying to navigate through making sure you don't mess that all up and you're creating an environment for that to happen and you're helping people to understand how that can happen in their own lives. And so uh, a few years ago, um, there's a research group, George Barna has a research group and they did a study. This, these numbers are a little bit old and probably, uh, probably even uh, worse than what I'm going to share with you. Um, but when it comes to the church, 80% of all churches are plateaued or declining. Think about 80% of them. Half of the people in the United States that claim to go to church actually go. Well, that's challenging. Um, as a pastor, you're trying to lead people and how they can follow Jesus. And Jesus says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves. It's half the people that claim to go actually go. The average church is 40 or 50 people. The average church across America. Most churches are dying and closing their doors. Again, I think this, this study was done about 10 years ago. And 3,500 churches close every year. Just close up shop. Just can't do it anymore. Um, and so it's difficult to reach people. <laughs> You're like, whoa. Uh, and really, uh, you need big vision to do it. You're not going to be able to accomplish it unless you have some vision. And even when we think of anything, any challenge in our lives, whether it's Monopoly, you have to have the vision of, I'm going to win this game, or you're not going to win. And you have to think that way. The Chiefs have to have the vision that they're going to win um, this game and, and, and be focused on the Super Bowl, or they're not going to win it. And, and so you always have to be thinking about where you're headed and what's going to happen in life, and you have to have big vision 
to overcome the challenges. And the fact of the matter is, if you don't have big vision, you will not be ready for the return of Christ. You'll just kind of live life, and you'll be surprised when he returns. If you have big vision, then your life is all about the return of Christ. Regardless of what you're doing, you're constantly thinking about the return of Christ could happen at any moment, and if it doesn't, I'm going to die and only have a certain amount of years left in my life. And, and your vision will focus you on what it is that you're supposed to be doing um, on a daily basis. And so we must all understand that a day is coming when we'll stand in judgment of our lives. And so there will be the judgment. There will be no judgment. If we're saved, there's no judgment on our salvation. That judgment has already been rendered. If Christ is atoned for our sins, um, he stands at the right hand of the Father and he intercedes for us, and we know him, and we're saved. But even though we are saved, there is the judgment seat, the bema of Christ, where we will give an account to Christ himself as believers with, for what we did with what was entrusted. These are all the things about the parable of the, the um, different talents that he gave. He gave one guy 10, one guy 5, and one guy 1, and the guy with 10 doubled his, and the guy with 5 doubled his. The guy with 1 didn't do anything with his. He just buried it and didn't even make interest on it. And Jesus says, take that guy's away and give it to the guy who had 10. And he's like, why? Because he didn't do anything. He had no vision. He was just fearful. And he just lived his life, and he buried what was given to him, and he absolutely used it to do nothing for the kingdom of Christ. When the, the first guy, no doubt, had vision. Man, he took the 10, and he's like, man, I've got 10 things here the Lord has entrusted to me, and he turned them into 20. And the reason he did that is because he had vision to face the challenges um, that were ahead of him. And so Matthew, um, he also shares a really interesting experience that he had with Jesus. And it's a run-in with a fig tree. It's a really cool story. Found in Matthew 21. It says, early in the morning, as he, Jesus was on his way back to the city, he was hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the road, which is the equivalent of the quick trip, right? Seeing a fig tree by the road, he went up to it, but found nothing on it except leaves. Then he said to it, may you never bear fruit again. And immediately the tree withered. And when the disciples saw this, they were amazed. How did the fig tree wither so quickly, they, they asked. And Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. If you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but also you can say to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and it will be done. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. And so Jesus is hungry, and he expects to find some fruit on this tree. And what was unusual about all of this is that the tree was bearing leaves early. And generally, a fig tree bears leaves and fruit at the same time. And so this fig tree started to produce leaves early, but it, it didn't have any figs on it. And so that was kind of messed up from the beginning. It wasn't doing what it was designed to do. And... Jesus, as he walks up to the fruit tree, the fig tree, is expecting to find productivity. And when he finds none, he does the only destructive miracle that's recorded about him. The only one. 
The only destructive miracle that Jesus performs is right here on this fig tree, and it has to do with this fig tree is not producing. Now, Jesus talks a lot about production. He says, hey, we're to produce disciples. Go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations. Um, he, he's talking to, in the parable of the talents. They are to produce. Um, and he says, you will know a tree by its fruit, whether it's producing good fruit or bad fruit. And so here we see that Jesus is, is, is teaching and reinforcing over and over that um, he expects productivity from his followers. Now, the followers of Christ, which is people like you and I, we're going to face challenges. And if we're going to face those challenges, we need big vision in order to conquer the big challenges. So the challenges are good because the challenges help us to have big vision, to know that, hey, man, I've got to keep focus on the vision of Christ and his return ultimately and how he is able to take and paint that spiritual portrait of my on my heart individually of what could and should be in his kingdom and how he brings a group of people together, which is really what a church is, a local body of believers. Ecclesia is the Greek term that Jesus used, a gathering of people. He brings them together. Everybody look at me, not Landon. Come on now. <laughs> As he brings a body together and he, uh, he, 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 he paints a vision on their hearts of what could and should be in the kingdom. And so we, we, we keep our mind focused on that and it helps us overcome the challenges we face. And so what, what does a big vision church look like? Well, a big vision church follows Jesus. That's the first thing, okay? Um, we cannot be a church that is about teaching people how to manage their sin. And sometimes churches fall into that, that trap as you teach people to manage their sin. Don't, don't do A, B, C, and D and make sure that you're doing these five things over here. You're managing your sin. You're, doing, you're avoiding some bad and you're doing some good. And you're kind of into a role of sin management. And we don't, you cannot teach people to do that. You can't teach people to live that way. You have to teach people how to follow Jesus. That's what a big vision church does. It has people that are attending that body of believers who emulate the life of Jesus. When you look at their lives, you see the character traits of Jesus. Of, I don't know what's wrong with me, but I feel like, I think it's the red door. I keep saying Jesus. Did you notice that just now? I said, Jesus. They have a sandwich at the Red Door Grill called Thank You, Jesus. Right? It's a good sandwich, but that, that's not what this is about. Forgive me, Lord, for my mispronunciation of your name. It's Jesus, not Jesus. <laughs> I am too, man. And so we, we have to teach people how to follow Jesus. And, and we have to be effective at teaching people how to follow Jesus 24-7 not just coming to church, not just doing some of the disciplines of the faith, whether it's giving or serving, but all the time, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, we're just constantly thinking in our minds, how do we emulate the life of Christ? And that is really what discipleship is all about. And so a big vision church is not just full of people. You can be a, a church full of people and not be a big vision church when it comes to the kingdom. Your vision can be really messed up and you can be full of people. You have to be full of people who are following Jesus. Now, everybody in the church doesn't have to follow Jesus. As a matter of fact, in a healthy church, everybody won't be following Jesus. 
Some people will be coming to check Jesus out, but they will be learning a lot about Jesus from the person who is teaching from the pulpit, and they will also be learning even more importantly from the lives of all the people who are around in that body that they're doing life with. And they will see Jesus everywhere because the people are emulating the life of Jesus. And so if we're going to be a big vision church and we're going to think about how do we overcome the challenges that are ahead of us when we think in terms of, man, people don't care about Christianity anymore. And it's bad. Like people, they just don't care about it as much as they used to. It's a lot different um, than it used to be. Well, we have to be a big vision church that is filled with people who are actually following Jesus. Not just saying they, they... They believe in Jesus, but they're actually following Jesus. That's what it means to be a disciple of Christ. We are following hard after him. We are watching his steps. He is leading us. He is the one painting the the vision uh, on our hearts of what could and should be in his kingdom. Uh, He does that individually, and then corporately it plays out among the body, and and it, it starts to take a life of its own within the kingdom as the kingdom starts to break out individually in other people. And so discipleship is a real important way for that to happen. And that's one of the reasons we're committed to that at this church is, is we don't, we, you know, we don't do a small group type of ministry. We do a discipleship group type of ministry. We're trying to teach people not just how to do life together, but how to do life like Jesus. This is what it looks like to follow Jesus. Big vision churches are authentic. And not only um, churches who follow Jesus, but they are authentic. James chapter 5, verse 16, James says, confess your sins to each other for healing. It says, for the, the effective prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And he says to us that we are to confess our sins to one another. What does that mean? Well, sometimes I think it means that when, we, when, when we've stumbled in sin and we're trying to walk through it, don't be afraid to confess that to a brother or sister in Christ. That's one of the ways that you get healed from the brokenness that that sin can cause in your life. So as you're doing life, and that's why, again, why discipleship becomes important, you start to talk about some of the things that you're struggling with. Like, man, I, I blew it right here with my wife last week. I was so mean. I was a jerk. And you confess that to your brothers, and your brothers, they, 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 you see that they don't reject you in the midst of that. Um, and, and it brings about a healing in the kingdom. And, and so it's a powerful and productive thing to do, and, and, and churches that are powerful and productive are authentic and vulnerable. They're just authentic people who don't try to act like everything is perfect in their lives. They know everything is not perfect. They know that Jesus is perfect, and they're vulnerable with each other. And so you cannot be a powerful church that is overcoming the challenges of the darkness that exists in the world um, and, and the Lord establishing you in any influential way if you're, where, if you're a church that's filled with people who are wearing masks. If you're afraid of people finding out you've never been baptized. That, that's, what, like, that, that's putting a mask on. I'm afraid that people might know I struggle with this sin. You get a mask on. You shouldn't be afraid of a brother or sister finding out anything about you. You should be encouraged. No, it doesn't mean, hey, I want to stand up in the church and tell everybody about all the skeletons in my closet. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is you, you have to be a church where you can be with somebody else in community and not be afraid to talk about the reality of what's happening in your life. 
Um, because there are some battles that you just can't win on your own. And the powerful thing that happens when you begin to speak those things out to other people and they start praying for you and praying with you and and the church is filled with people who are following Jesus. What does that mean to follow Jesus? Well, we know the word. We're in the word. I mean, nobody knew the word better than Jesus. So if I'm going to follow Jesus, I need to know the word. That's one of the most important things that I could do about following Jesus. What else do we know about Jesus? He prayed a lot. Jesus ought to be a man of prayer. Um, what else do we know? Well, he did the will of God. And, and so he's to emulate that life. I'm constantly thinking about what is the Lord saying to me about this thing that I find in the word and how it plays itself out into my life. And so if I've got that going on in a church that is filled with people who are following Jesus and I'm able to confess my sin to a, a brother or sister in Christ that I'm doing life with, then that praying person begins to join and unite with me in prayer. And when two or three are gathered in the name of Christ, man, there's a powerful thing that happens there. Um, And that's how we're able to overcome some of the challenges. And that's why a big vision church has to be filled with people who are authentic. It's one of our core values as as a ministry. As uh, we 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 say, look, man, one of the things that we will say is we are we are authentic. We'll practice authenticity. What people see is what we will be. And there are a lot of um, churches, and there are a lot of believers, so-called believers, who are bushy churches. A lot of leaves, but you walk up to them, there's no fruit in their life. A lot of leaves on the, on the outside, and, and Jesus walks up to it. He's like, where's the figs? There's no figs on this tree. And it withers, and it's not producing. And so that uh, you don't want to be that type of person. We don't want to be that type of church. We don't want to be a church where... Where people are like, we look like, like we're doing all the things of Jesus, and, and we sound like we're doing all the things of Jesus, but when you get right up close to us, <clears throat> there's no fruit. There's no lives being transformed by the power of Christ. It's a nice, comfortable place to get up under the shade, but you will die there because there's nothing to eat. And that's what a fig tree without fruit is all about. It looks good. It might feel good, but at the end of the day, there's nothing nourishing about it. It's just drawing from the soil. And so there are a lot of um, things in the kingdom that are like that, and it just won't work. Or I shouldn't even say they're in the kingdom. (laughs) They're trying to say they're in the kingdom, but they're not. Big vision churches are young, okay? You don't have to do anything for the church to age. It just does it. That's, as a matter of fact, this church, uh, as Stanley Bible Church, before it merged with the previous church, um, I've thought a lot about over the years, what happened to that church? This church was a country church in this community of Stanley. Um, I, I've seen pictures, um, historical photos, where it, where it had some vibrancy. Obviously, they went from the Llewellyn's, or what is now, um, what is it called, Ashley's Restaurant? Is that what, Ash, Aspen? I don't know, it's been two or three different things. This building right here down the street, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, it used to be the church. And then they sold it in 19, that was founded in 1925. They built that building. And in 1974, they built this building. Yeah, they obviously had some movement going on. But then, you know, in the, <clears throat> the 2000s, they just died. They were dying a slow death. What happened? The church started aging. They didn't do any, like they weren't reaching young people. If you don't reach young people, the church will just age, 
Okay, so that's what would happen to us, and we'd grow old together, and, and we would love each other, and we'd do the best that we could to uh, minister to one another, but we would do things the way we like to do them. I like um, the music this way, or I want this done that way, or uh, it just feels like, I, I had somebody tell me when we, when we started the project with the cross and everything, one of the people left, and they, they just said it just feels like the church is targeting young people, <laughs> and it's not for us. You dang right, that's what we're doing. We're targeting young people. Why? Because the church will die if you don't get some young people in this place. Like, eventually, I'm going to die, and you're going to die. And some of you look like you're on death's doorstep. <laughs> Sometimes I feel like I am, right? So we got to get young people in here, or the church will just die. And so we, we focus on that. I'm so thankful for, for our young families. And we have many young families in the church that have come. Families, some of you don't have kids. Some of you are starting to have kids. And um, the, the advisors, they, we, we set aside Kevin Knowlton as, as a new advisor. He's only, tw- Kevin, where's Kevin? He, he was on stage. He has to come twice, so he's, he's, he's eating a donut right now. 26? Anyways, that was intentional. We need a young guy on there. Like, used to be when I was on, there was a young guy on there. There's no young guys on there like that. Sorry for the rest of you. You're not young either. But we, we, you know, you have to intentionally do that um, to think about how do you keep the church young because it will automatically age. And so uh, we want to develop our student ministry, our kids ministry. We want to think about how can we shape those. And right now is such a pivotal time. And I would challenge you as a, a, a church that I believe is, is, is filled with people who want to follow, who are following Jesus, is we need to be praying about that. Like who, you know, Tara, thank God for Tara stepping in and helping us in the interim with our kids ministry. Um, and, and we've got some others who've stepped in um, to help during this interim with the student ministry. But who is the person that's supposed to lead this? Who is the person, not that will manage it, but grow it? Come in and see something that God can do among the students in Blue Valley that would just really shake up the community. I'm not aware of a youth group that's really doing that in our community at all. I'm not really aware of of that happening. And so we need somebody to have that kind of vision. We need to be soaking that in prayer and asking the Lord to bring us that that person, bring us that person for kids ministry that that will really just focus on it and and help it to be all that it's supposed to be. And we have to be intentional in those things, be it big vision churches or young. Big vision churches are compassionate. We must always, with compassion, be looking outside instead of inside. That's what we do is we, we don't think about, well, what, how do we take care of ourselves? You, we will always take care of ourselves. You see, if, if, if any dinner you come to at this place, it's proof that we take care of ourselves. We won't think twice about catering in some jack stack. Take care of ourselves, amen? And so by default, just like we will, go, get, you know, we will get older, by default, we will take care of ourselves and we should take care of ourselves. But we need to focus on taking care of people who aren't here. You say, well, did we need the cross? 
Did we need to add on to the exterior? Did we need to create the facade? Did we need to spend 700 grand on that? No. It didn't make a difference to me. I don't love the church more because that's out there. But as recently as uh, last Sunday I was here, a couple told me, I said, how'd you find the church? Oh, we drove by. We saw a young couple too. We saw the lights. Like, we should try that place out. It looks pretty cool. And so that's how it's, we focus on the people outside. We have a compassion about people who are not here yet. And we constantly, not only reaching out to people who don't have a connection, a family, a spiritual family, and they're, they're part of the kingdom, but reaching out to those who cannot help themselves. There are people in our community that sometimes fall on hard times, and we want to minister to those. And, and, and maybe in a financial situation, we can do that. Um, We help the needy in our own backyard and around the world. But here's the thing, is the needy in our community are covered in a cloud of darkness, and it is not a financial poverty that has impacted them. It's spiritual. It's spiritual poverty, and they don't know it. Um, There's a darkness in the midst of our community. You know, I've been here uh, going on 11, 12 years, I don't know. But I, th- I thought the church would just grow faster. It's hard to grow a church here. I mean, it is hard. <laughs> this place is different than Oklahoma. You say, well, why? People are more spiritual and more focused on the kingdom in Oklahoma than they are here. They just are. You say, well, that's not fair. Well, it's not fair that our football team is better than yours either, but it's true, Right? And I don't, I don't, I'm not, not, I'm just seeing there's something wrong. And, and I'm not, again, I don't want you to, t- all I'm saying is I don't love Oklahoma more than I love being here. What I'm saying is you go back to Oklahoma and it's easier to reach people than it is to reach people here. Why is that? I think people here, um, they're confused spiritually. I think there's a spirit, spiritual ignorance. There's a spiritual delusion. There's People think they're okay. People are able to take care of their needs. People have a lot of money. Um, I think this is one of the reasons Jesus said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Is it, is there, is it wrong to have money? No. It's just harder to pierce and break through that that with people getting real with the Lord because they're able to take care of a lot of the um, needs they may feel in their life. They feel a little down, feel a little discouraged. Let's just take a trip. And not everybody in the world can do that, right? But a lot of people in Johnson County can. A lot of people, you get a little bit down, like, man, we just don't uh, having that much fun right now. Let's, let's schedule a trip. Let's go here. Let's do this. Let's buy that. Let's add on. And, and, and so that you can get really caught up and focused on the materialism that exists, and that can keep you from the things of the kingdom. And so we, we have to understand that the needy in our uh, community, like, there are a lot of people who think they know Jesus, and they don't, they don't know him. They aren't even close. Like, you, you say, well, how do you know that? I can just watch and listen in my spiritual discernment. I can recognize that this person does not know the Lord. They, they, and they think they do. Um, there's an influential ministry in our community that is very oppressive on this community. I think that's one of the reasons it's hard for this church, to, uh, any church, to kind of break out. And I also, but I look at that and go, whoa, man, this sounds discouraging. No, man. 
This is like trying to break the 200-inch uh, record in bow hunting. You're trying to find a 200. This is better than that. It's harder than that. This is trying to pierce through and become a church that does amazing things for the kingdom right in the midst of a city that is covered with spiritual poverty. And if we can break through that, what could happen? What could happen in the midst and what could we see in ways of transformation? Big vision conquers bigger, big challenges. And when it comes to these mountains, there are three ways to face them. Jesus talks about here. You can live a life of survival. And a lot of people live in survival mode. And you just go, ah, there's a mountain. It's just the way it is. I understand, Jimmy, and I agree with you, man. I see it. I watch the news. I read articles, and I agree with you, man. Things are tough. But I'm doing all right, and I'm going to make it until Jesus comes back. And you just live your life, and you take care of your family. You teach your kids about Jesus, and you make sure you are doing the things that you're supposed to do. You're living in survival mode in the kingdom. And I'm not sure there's a whole lot of fruit. There's probably some fruit in your life, but you're just surviving. Well, you can live a life of success, and that's where you go around the mountain. At the success level, you've got a comfortable lifestyle. You've achieved a certain level of success. Your needs are met. You have a home. You have possessions. Um, you have some prestige. You have some pleasures in life. You're doing all right. You can be very successful, though, and still be incredibly unfulfilled. And most people in our community are living there, okay? They're in a place of um, success where they've figured out how to go around the Martin, or mountain, and, but as I've just already described, they're shrouded in darkness and they don't know it. So if we are living as a body of believers, if we start to live as people who are just going around the mountain, then we're doing no, no good to people who are outside of the kingdom that are doing the same thing in their lives. And so Jesus didn't die to help us live with the mountain or tell us how to get around the mountain. Jesus died to become the great spiritual Sherpa, and he takes us up the mountain. And that's the most significant way that you can live, is that you live a life of significance, you get on top of the mountain. And that's what I think that Jesus is saying. Like, these mountains, man, they're nothing. If you, can, if you know and you're able to pray and you listen to me and you follow me, there will be challenging things in your life. There will be mountains everywhere, but I will show you how to move them. And really, I believe what Jesus does is shows us how to get on top of them. Uh, and, and we look and we see we have purpose in our lives and we know that our lives matter. And on top of the mountain is the only way to live life to the fullest. What's interesting is that Jesus spent a lot of time on, on, on mountains. The greatest sermon ever preached in humanity is called the Sermon on the Mount. It's found in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And it closes at chapter 7. And then in verse 1 of chapter 8, it says, When he came down from the mountainside, Large crowds followed him. You see, Jesus knew how to live on top of the mountain and take people down into the valley and show them how to go back up the mountain and take others with him. 
And that's, that's the rhythm of life that a believer is supposed to be lit, um, following. This is significant. He came down and people followed him. In Luke chapter 12, verse 48, it says, To whom much is given, much is required. That is a sobering thought to think about. Um, you take a look around at all that you have and think that God expects you to use that. For what? The kingdom. Not yourself. The kingdom. The more money you've been given, the more is required of you to do for the kingdom. The more giftedness you've been given, the more that is required for you to, be, to do of the kingdom. Uh, the more whatever that has been given to you, the more that is required. To whom much is given, as much is required. And, and, and who is faithful in little, Jesus says, they will be faithful in a lot. And so when we think about what the Lord has given us as a church, it's a lot. This sermon that I just preached to you, I preached in view of a call to this church 11 years ago. The exact sermon. And the church decided to bring me in as the pastor. There were just a handful of people. And I told them that big challenges like we face requires big vision. They said, we will... We will take the money that you've been holding on to and we will spend half of it. We will change the inside of the, the building. We will upgrade the sound system. We will do everything that we can to make it a more um, powerful experience to show that we care about the people who come into our, our, our spiritual home to be nourished by the Word. We will, we will pour into our kids' ministry. We will develop all that we can as we renovate this whole inside of the building and develop these ministries. And eventually, I said, we will, we will break into the black financially and we will figure out a way how to raise money and we will change the outside of this building. And, so, and that's like, if I come, that's what we're going to do. And the church voted to do it. And that's what we've been working on. I thought it would happen faster, as I've said, but it's been challenging. But it's been very rewarding. And now we have two services um, where our average attendance, I believe right now, is over 200, which is amazing. It's been so hard. I mean, we just been around 100, 100, just so, like, how can we get past this? Now, I'm not a numbers guy. I'm a transformation guy. But if people are being transformation, the numbers are going to be impacted. And so um, you look at that and go, well, man, we look at all that we, we were thinking about and go, man, the Lord has brought us through that. So the big idea today is we've come a long way, but our vision is a lot bigger. It's a lot bigger than, it, than what we've come so far. Uh, I think about um, our ministry, and I think about why did the Lord, like, why, why here, Lord? Why, why did you bring me here in this city? And, and I think you guys know, man, I have a heart for the Word. I like to teach people the Word. And the Lord has really showed me that, um, the thing to do to walk out obedience right now is to teach people the Word of God. I mean, like, take them through books of the Bible and impact them with the truth of God and let the Spirit of God um, hit them with that truth and they learn it and they start to follow and, and love the Lord. And, 
And so I, I have a vision of continuing to do that and, and, and more and more people coming under the sound teaching of the gospel, but also the vision that we share as a body of believers is, is discipleship, is that people coming into the kingdom and not just um, feeling good about life, but really looking at their lives and going, man, how do I learn how to obey the Lord? You see, when Jesus touches things, he doesn't dilute them. He changes them. When Jesus, the first miracle he ever did when he touched the water, he didn't make it watery wine. He changed it from water to the best wine that the person who was a professional taster had ever tasted. He changed it. He transformed it. And so that's what Jesus is in the business of doing. And so as a body of believers, as we think about the future, man, I, I see us as a city of transformation. Like a place where people come to and they're impacted by the Lord, that their lives shift in such a significant way that they are not the same anymore. They've moved from water to wine. They're different. And they take all that has been given to them and they begin to think of how can I invest in the kingdom and use the resources that God has entrusted to me to fulfill the vision that he's painting on my heart of what could and should be in the kingdom. And God brings one here and one there and another family here and another family there. And then there are more resources that are available for the body of Christ. And then we don't only have two services, we have three services and eventually we get to four services and we go, well, do we need that many services? As long as people are being transformed, we just keep adding them. And so if, if, if necessary, we find a different place to meet or we build a new facility. I mean, I see, I can see where God can, I don't have it all clearly worked out, but I know that something special could happen at this place. Sometimes I dream about whether or not we could have like a park area outside, a place where people who are lost as they could be, they come and they bring their kids and there's a playground and they play pickleball and we go out and maybe we cook them hot dogs or whatever and they're like, where, where do you guys, I mean, man, where does the church, we're just glad you're here. Sometimes I wonder, man, will the Lord give us that shopping center over there? Do we just keep growing and, and he gives us that shopping center and then we, we start moving some sort of our, our ministry over there in some capacity? Maybe he's going to give us the land across the street. Amen? Amen. Amen. I don't know. But one thing I do know is I'm, I'm 52. I'll be 53. I don't know if I, I've got the average lifespan or not. Maybe I have 10 years. Maybe I have two. Maybe I have 20. I don't know. But I'm going to do everything that I can to go up the mountain with Jesus. And I'm sold out to see people's lives transformed. And as I look out into the future and I think about, man, what is OPCC? Man, we, we want to be a city within the city that is filled with light. That people who are covered in this present darkness can come out of that and go, man, I didn't know my life was so shrouded in darkness and I came to this place and the lights came on and the Lord set me free and, and we get to be part of that and that's I mean what else could a person live for what else would fulfill me in a greater capacity than to be a part of Jesus doing something like that at 14800 Metcalf Avenue that's what I see man and so like, I'm going to keep pressing on. I'm going to keep looking for it. I'm going to face the challenges and I'm going to let the Lord carry me through. And I want you to know 
that I am appreciative of you, the body. I, all of you. Like, even if it's your first time here, I'm glad you're here and you got to hear this word today. I'm thankful for what the Lord is doing. And I'm encouraged because of the vision that he has painted of what he's going to do. We've come a long way, but we have a long way to go. And I think this next season is going to blow us all away. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for allowing us to be a part of what you're doing. We pray for wisdom, Lord. That we will be good stewards of what you've entrusted to us as a ministry. And that, Lord, we know that in our humanity, we do not deserve to be used in the ways that I've just described. But we also know, Lord, that you have taught us from your word that we are to believe that way. So we don't ask for this on our own merit. <laughs> We ask for it, Lord, based upon your merit, your grace, your shed blood on Calvary. And we just ask you to allow us to be a part of something special that our culture desperately needs a powerful church that is filled with the Spirit and is marked by transformation. Radical stories of life moving from death to alive in Christ. We love you. We thank you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at overlandpark.cc.